Good morning. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we look at the fourth and the final part of Luke's telling of the story leading up to the birth of Jesus. We'll be looking at Luke 1, uh, starting at verse 57 and going to the end of the chapter. You can follow along on your phone or a tablet or uh, follow along in a book or just listen as I read along and the words will be up here on the screen. I invite you, as always, to join me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as we read these words from the book that we love. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, we call the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. God's very word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. Of all the memorials in Washington, D.C., it seems like none evoke more emotion than the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. It represents millions who defended the United States over the years, but more than that, 
It gives a simple message. These people died in Vietnam for the defense of our country. It is not uncommon to find family members and the names of loved ones lost. Nor is it uncommon to find veterans there by certain names, weeping there or etching the name on a piece of paper. And if you would ask someone about that, it would not be uncommon for that person to say this was more than simply a mate, but to say, this guy gave his life for me. This guy gave his life for me. The message is simple. The message of the Christian faith is not at all difficult to understand. It might be difficult to accept. It might be difficult to act on. But the message itself is not difficult. So clear. Children understand it. People of any background, of any culture, any education can comprehend the message of the Bible. It's this. Jesus came to give his life for me. He gave his life for me. For God so loved the world, he so loved the people of the world, that he provided his son to die in the place of people who deserved payment for their sin and to be separated from God eternally. He gave his son so we could live and live with him. Christmas, unfortunately, can cause that message to be lost or muddled. I enjoy Christmas. I know that sometimes I'm a bit of a hard nose, but I like Christmas too. Yes, I didn't always have a Christmas tree, but we got one this year. It's easy to get caught up in the decorations, to get caught up in forgetting the real reason for Christmas and to celebrate this day. It's a wonderful message, isn't it? This is the day we celebrate God gave his son for us. But it's not always that clear on Christmas Day or the Christmas season. I don't know about you, sometimes we like to just do some mindless thing and watch a Hallmark Christmas story. I mean, the message is simple, right? We could all write it. Once you know who the characters are and after the first 10 or 15 minutes, you know where the story's going, you could write it. I could write it. I mean, when my grandnieces and grandnephews want me to tell them a story, you know what I do? I pull out the hallmark outline and I just plug in new characters and I plug in a new plot and I just follow along. This one we saw a couple of weeks ago. We knew where it's going. The community was going to gather around at this uh, Christmas Eve gathering in the community square and everything was going to be all right. But the last song, 
they transitioned from away in a manger to Santa Claus arriving, and they segued immediately into Santa Claus is coming to town. And I thought, who wrote this? Who wrote this? To prepare people for the life of God's Son, God sent a messenger. God didn't want people to miss the message or to misunderstand the mission. God's Son was coming to earth to save us from ourselves. So he sent John the Baptist to point people to the one, to the one that Father God sent. This morning we're going to reflect on John's beginning, his birth, but more importantly, why John came, the message of salvation, the message of hope, a salvation that Jesus Christ would provide the way to set his people free. So let's look at this story. As we read, starting at verse 57, John's born. When Elizabeth's nine months of pregnancy were completed, she gave birth. The people knew the story about the angel appearing to Zechariah, telling him that his wife, though she was going to be very old, was going to have a son, and this child would be extraordinary. He would prepare the way for the Messiah. They also heard the story of how Zechariah lost his speech when the angel appeared to him. He had asked for a sign. How could these things you are telling me are true? The sign was that he would lose his speech until the son would be named. It says that family and friends came together to share this joy, to rejoice that God has shown favor to them. What wonderful verses. Elizabeth had her community surround her to celebrate the joy of this. A far different picture in chapter 2 when Mary would give birth and the lack of community around her. We'll reflect on that in a little bit tomorrow morning. And then there is not only his birth, but that there is his naming. Under Jewish law, eight days after birth, a son was to be circumcised, given the sign of the covenant that says, you belong to me. I am your God. At that time, it was expected the family would give the child a name. And because Zechariah couldn't speak, others were stepping up to name the child. And they all suggested, Zechariah, we should name the boy after you. And Elizabeth said, no, you are not to name the child Zechariah. You are to name the child John. And they all said, but no one in your family has that name. Honor your husband by naming your son after him. And they made signs to Zechariah to get his opinion. And he got a tablet and he wrote and it said, his name shall be John. In accordance with the angel's prophecy nine months earlier, he began to speak. And the people, it says, were filled with awe and fear that God's presence was here. 
and present with the boy. And so the joy that flowed from Zechariah burst out into song, a song not about his son, but about his son's message. It says that Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy. And here the word prophesy is not about telling the future. It's not about predicting. That word prophesy here means simply to proclaim, to preach. That's what it means in this context. To express a song, not about his son coming, but about the one his son would point to. His song has three simple parts. First, he begins by showering God with praise. He opens up because God is worthy of receiving the praise. We have a spiritual stockpile that is huge and wonderful, and we have a God that is great, and when we think about that, our praise for him should hardly be contained. And like Zechariah, when he reflects on all that God has done, we can't stop ourselves from spilling into praise for God. It teaches us to manage life in such a way that we are mindful every day of all that God has given to us. And what a wonderful God we have and all that he has provided taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that part of our heritage and tradition to always pause and reflect on what God has given to us? In Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Prince Caspian nears the end of the book, and he reminds himself that he needs to stop focusing on all that has been taken away and focus on all that's been given. God is not a taker. God is a giver. And he gives and he gives. And with this comes a word of caution. Because the evil one will do everything to convince us that we are not spiritual princes or princesses, but that we are spiritual paupers. He will work hard to make us unaware of the scope of the stockpile of blessings God has given to us, to make us forget that we are daughters, to make us forget that we are sons of the king to forget about God's gifts and just to walk around like we're scavengers picking through the refuse piles instead of walking like the spiritual children of the king that we are. And when this starts to happen, when you notice in yourself that you're starting to become a spiritual pauper instead of a spiritual prince, God's remedy is to gather with his people and to use them to lead you into the praise and the blessing of God. 
Zechariah begins simply by showering his praises on God. And then he shouts specifically about the salvation that his son is going to bring. His plan is to save lost people from themselves, to save us from our sin. God is a great and a glorious God, and he is a holy God, a just God, who judges and presides over the universe. And we know that the Bible talks that his holiness demands that sins against him, there must be punishment. In any society, a judge with any amount of integrity does the very same thing. Any judge, when he sees a stockpile of grievous errors, grievous offenses, any judge, no matter how compassionate they may be, is required to bring justice. For example, if a man embezzles millions from people who trusted him, and then he blows it in his life, and this person appears in court, the judge must see, according to justice, that the crime is paid for, in spite of compassion. Imagine how shocking it would be for a judge to hand down a million-dollar fine, 39 years in prison, in this embezzling example. And then the judge stands up and takes off the robe and he pays the fine out of his own savings. And then he voluntarily exchanges himself with the guilty man. And we've heard this before. What would be the reaction of the embezzler? Shock? Disbelief? Dodging a bullet? Or gratitude? Why would someone pay for my crimes? And why would the judge do that? And why would he substitute himself for me? And the parallel with Jesus is not difficult to understand. Because our God is a holy God, Crimes against his holiness are to be paid for. There will be consequences. We fall short. And the Bible says the wages or the penalty of our sins against God is death, eternal separation from God. It says that we all fall into this category. There is no one here who is better than anyone else, and there is no one here who is any less. We're all made in his image, all incredibly valuable to God. But God does what he doesn't have to do. He chooses to send his son to earth to take our punishment, to pay our debt, to endure the pain of hell for us that is rightfully ours because of our faults, of our sin, and our rebellion. Yes, 
we've done some very nice things. We've also done some wicked things. And for those, we stand guilty before God. But to those who confess their sin, who admit that they haven't measured up to God's law of perfection, to those who ask for forgiveness and accept Christ's death on their behalf, are freed from the penalty of sin, and God brings us into new life. And we walk in a new way. We are filled with gratitude, and we understand that we are spiritual princes and princesses. We want to live in a way that pleases God. This is what Zechariah does. He shouts to God about the salvation that was talked about by prophets and poets and now is coming in his son. And Zechariah closes his song by saying, my son will proclaim this. This is going to be the message of my son about an outrageously gracious God who offers to forgive guilty people. John will proclaim that we all fall short, that we all need to seek forgiveness, and that there is a God who offers deliverance. The gift is there. It's there for the asking. Zechariah probably didn't know how God was going to work it all out. But he knew his son was going to point to one and say, He's going to give his life for you. He'll give his life for you. And as John grew, he lived the life of a prophet. The desert was a traditional home of prophets in the Old Testament, a place of inspiration, a place for shedding those things that would hinder them from proclaiming what was right and good about God. And then John would be a gift, a gift to people, to point the way to Jesus. We think this might be the end of the story for Zechariah. We don't hear about him anymore. Or do we? This came to me this morning, so it's not up there on the slides. In Luke 11, Jesus is encountering the religious leaders. And he says to them, Are you going to do what you did to Zechariah and you killed him in the temple courts? So a quick look at my resources. And the commentators were unsure whether this was Zechariah the prophet or Zechariah the father of John the Baptist. We don't know. But could it be that Zechariah just wouldn't shut up to say what his son was going to do? And so they had to shut him up. And that just made me wonder, would we go to such an extreme that people would have to figure out what they needed to do to shut us up from proclaiming 
what a gracious and wonderful God we have. Christmas is about the Christ child, the one who came to give his life to people who matter to God. John the Baptist came to prepare the way, to get people ready that the time of waiting had come to an end. Advent is the time in which we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. Let this Christmas time be a time for us to celebrate, to allow Jesus to come into our hearts, to turn ourselves over to him, to start to proclaim what a great and awesome and gracious God we have. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we thank you for your great love. Thank you that you sent prophets and poets and a person by the name of John the Baptist to prepare people's hearts to receive your son. We long to receive him and to hand over to him anything in our lives that is not in accordance with his love and his care and we pray lord that in this christmas season you will in the midst of our joyous festivities always keep our eye on your son who gave himself for us so we pray as we continue on into christmas move in our hearts move in our minds in such a way that we are always mindful that you have made us uh, children of the King and not spiritual paupers at all. And so we give to you our praise and we give to you our adoration. And Father God, we pray that you will continue to lead and guide us and we, we pray that you will lead and guide us as a community of faith here called Discovery Church. We give you thanks for how you lead us as children how you lead us as adults. Uh, we join with those who rejoice in a new job and a new vocation and pray, Lord, that you will help with transi transitions at work and transitions at home. We give you thanks for that. We pray for healing that's needed in our lives. We continue to lift up Sue that you would bring uh, healing to her her back. We pray for Sid's dad and his waiting for uh, test results from the treatment for cancer. We pray, Lord, that you will give uh, healing and strength to him. We pray, Lord, for our weaknesses, and we pray, Lord, that you will bring healing and health. And we pray for those who find this Christmas season hard, through losses in their lives, through things not being as they long for them to be, to going through this Christmas season with some hope stashed. We pray for those who find it to be hard. We pray for those who experienced loss this year, where there will be an empty chair at the table, or the chairs will be rearranged. And we pray for hearts that miss those who are gone. 
We pray, Lord, for uh, those who are finding it hard. We pray for uh, those whose relationships with family and friends uh, have strain and even brokenness. We pray, Lord, that uh, you will do your work to bring restoration and reconciliation and still at the same time uh, a level of your comfort and peace as we wait for that time of restoration to come. We thank you for Joyce. We thank you that uh, little Calvin Quinlan remains at home, and uh, we pray that you'll be with Shauna and Kaylin as they continue to make their adjustments in caring for Calvin and Declan and work responsibilities. And We just thank you for the healing that you have brought to him and pray for your care and for your... Uh, provision for their family as they gather. Father, we pray for those of us who know of family and friends who are uh, going through some difficulties with uh, pregnancies or with babies, uh, as uh, Anna shared and Elizabeth shared in the uh, prayer emails. We lift up these dear people to you and others that we know in our life who... Uh, for some reason or other, are struggling with uh, pregnancy or the, the lack of it in their life. We pray, Lord, that your grace and your comfort would be upon them. At the same time, we pray for uh, Genevieve Gorder and Annalise Grote, that you will uh, protect the babies that they are carrying, that you will give grace and comfort to them, and when the time of waiting is fulfilled, that you will bring about a good and a safe delivery. And Father, there are probably other things that I should have prayed for, and uh, I lift those up. And there are other things that are also in our hearts that we silently lift before you. We do so. Thank you for hearing our prayer for loving us so much that you are already at work to provide the answers. Father God, as best we know how, we offer ourselves in these prayers to you. We pray them in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen. Part of the gift that God has given to us today is to come to his table, the Lord's table, to remember the death the resurrection of Jesus, that he came to die in our place, and he rose to give us his new life. Many of us know that the Lord's Supper or communion was instituted by Jesus on what's called uh, the Last Supper, where Jesus and his 12 were gathered together for Passover. And at Passover, he shifted the focus from the Old Testament deliverance of God to the new, to how Jesus would bring the deliverance. I find it intriguing that in my study of things that the Old Testament people of God would focus on when they gathered around Passover are the things that we gather around when we come to the Lord's table. Let me share four words with you that 
summarize what the Old Testament people of God would do when they gathered around Passover. They are the same four words of what we do when we gather around the table. Remember. Remember the stories of God. Remember the times he delivered his people. Remember how he chose you out of all the people of the world. Remember the great acts of God. And so we come to the table and we remember this greatest act. Because secondly, we also remember that we need to come before a holy God. And coming before a holy God involves, secondly, repentance. To acknowledge that we don't measure up, that we have fallen short. And one of the things in the Old Testament is they would offer their sacrifices to say, we have fallen short. Well, our repentance is not about the sacrifice that we bring, but the sacrifice that Father brought us. He brought us the sacrifice of his son. And when we receive it, we acknowledge that we have fallen short and we need his sacrifice for us. And just as God has forgiven us, thirdly, we forgive others. There's a community aspect when the people would gather. As we have been forgiven, so we forgive others. When we come to the table, we remember that we have been forgiven. And part of the result of that is that we forgive others in our community who have hurt us. And lastly, thankfulness. Thankfulness for all that God has done for us. And so as we take the bread and the cup, and as we leave from it, we are mindful that we are thankful that our new life in Jesus is due nothing to whatever we have done, but everything of what he has done for us. As we come to the table, I invite you to join with an ancient tradition that goes back centuries. It's called the Confession of Our Faith, trusting in the things that are foundational to what God has done and how he has shaped us. It's called the Apostles' Creed, and I invite you to join with me in a confession of our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. And so I invite you to join, join with me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as we confess our faith by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> 